Greetings and salutations. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, the rise of alternative music in the 80s and beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way to the rise of alternative music. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Accelerated Culture. I'm Lori. And I'm Trey. And Trey, how are you feeling after our first episode? I'm I'm feeling good. I, I felt like probably I sounded a little clumsy on that one, but I'm feeling good about this one. I'm feeling good about this one, too. We've been on cloud nine all week talking about this episode. So do you want to tell our listeners what we're going to be doing today? This week, we're going to be discussing Duran Duran's 1982 album, Rio. We're going to go over the whole album and also discuss the various singles and remixes and such that were put out for the album. Yeah, I am so, so excited. And as you know, Trey, I was at the Duran Duran concert in Chicago this past weekend. Yeah, the tour kickoff show even. Yeah, so it wasn't intended to be, right? They were supposed to be kicking off Friday night in Minnesota, but I think that must have been an outdoor show. It was canceled due to rain, so they failed to hold back the rain. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. (laughs) And so, yeah, so this actually effectively was their first North American show of the tour. Fan-freaking-tastic. Second time I've seen them live, and uh, they put on a great show. Don even really got into it, and uh, my husband is not a huge Duran Duran fan, but he was dancing and singing. I was kind of a little disappointed with the section I was in, so I was in a pretty good section, you know, not like the the $600 seats, but in a pretty, you know, decent section, and Mm -hmm. everybody else in my section it's like, have you people ever heard of Duran Duran? I mean, like they knew a couple of the songs, right? They knew the Hungry Like the Wolf. They knew the Reflex. But a lot of the newer stuff, they just kind of sat for, like, you know, with like these scowly looks on their faces. And like a lot of the other stuff, like, you know, the the traditional switch it off, Planet Earth. Yeah. Only me and one other person in the entire section actually did that. So I don't know where we found these people that we were sitting with, but Don and I, and then there were two ladies right next to us that were really into it too. So it was like the four of us dancing for the whole section. I was thrilled. Okay, so they played Friends of Mine from the first album, which is one of my favorite songs. And that's the second time I've seen it live. They played it back in 2019 when I saw them. But I lost my shit, Trey, because they played Hold Back the Rain. Yeah, I would have went bonkers, too. That's insane. Yeah, they don't play that one live a lot. So lost my shit at that. Simon, unfortunately, started to lose his voice at one point. It was noticeable, but he he picked it up again towards the end. But uh, we were getting a little worried for a while there. Again, first show of the tour. Hopefully his vocal cords are, you know, exercised and ready for the rest of the tour. Now Rogers and Sheik. Ah! That show alone was worth the cost of admission. That was freaking awesome, man. 
I had no idea they were the opening act. So I saw you and I was like, really? That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I am so grateful I got the chance to see Nile Rogers live. That was amazing. Very surprised though that they didn't bring Niall on for a couple songs with Duran Duran because as you know he yeah not only produced a number of their albums but played guitar on a number of their songs so that's kind of a missed opportunity but you know then again I guess he'd already done his job for the night right so why why make him come out and do it again I guess huh so you know as you mentioned today on social media you realize that this is the 40th anniversary of the Rio album it's a little hard to believe but yes it is And this is also the year that Duran Duran are being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So that's definitely appropriate. Yes. Oh, yeah, they are. I forgot, completely forgot about that. Yeah, that's going to be in November. I wonder what they'll play at that. I don't know, but both Andy and Warren Cucurillo are included in the inductees. So that should be interesting. I don't know if they're both going to show up. Not to veer off of of the main subject i thought they weren't real happy with each other anymore no they really aren't so hopefully they can set aside their differences for something so important right yeah let's hope so all right so let's get started let's talk about rio so you know our last episode we did a mixtape ish episode for 1982 And so, Trey, you and I were talking and we realized, well, Rio came out in 1982. So before we move forward to 83, we said, hey, you know, let's let's talk about this, because for you and me both, this was just such an important album in our lives. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That and for New Wave in general, I think that was really while there were some hits and stuff over the course of 81 and 82. I think Rio is for sure the album that just really kicked all that into overdrive you know if you were to ask me to pick the best album of the 80s i wouldn't even hesitate i would say rio it would definitely be in the top five for me definitely top five there's so many good albums out of that decade it would be hard to peg just one but for sure yeah so obviously trey you and i know who duran duran are but maybe we should talk a little bit for our listeners who maybe uh such as your 17-year-old co-worker who yeah. maybe, <laughs> maybe is not quite so familiar with them. So do you want to kind of talk about who they are? Well, let's see. They started out in, what, 1980? That's when they became Duran Duran. They put out their first album in 81, which had some pretty moderate success over in Europe. I'm not real sure how that one did in the U.S. You know, it didn't do too well at first, after Rio, they decided to re-release the first album with a different yeah. track listing. Yeah. And I suspect, Trey, that you and I are going to talk about that re-release when we get to 1983. Right, we'll have to. Yeah. So the original five members of Duran Duran. The two founding members were Nick Rhodes, who was a keyboardist, and John Taylor, bass player. They recruited a guy named Roger Taylor on drums, no relation to John. Simon Laban, lead singer, and then Andy Taylor on guitar, also no relation. So we have three guys named Taylor. They are absolutely not related. They started out in Birmingham in a well-known dance club called the Rum Runner. They were kind of the house band. Yep. Now, the big bands to come out at Birmingham, besides Duran Duran, were UB40, Ill, and Dexy's Midnight Runners. 
So Nick Rhodes has said, none of us even sounded like we were from the same planet. And I think that that's a very fair assessment. That, those are three very, very different bands. It, 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 it's, it's the moon and earth there between those bands. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Trey, they had come out with their first album in 1981. Yes. They toured it and they did tour the United States and then went immediately to recording their second album, which became Rio. You know, I only found over the course of the past week that the first Rio single came out in uh, November of 81. And that was my own way, wasn't right. it? Yes, yes, it was. Oh, and we're going to talk about that, too, because, yep. uh, yeah, there's several different versions of my own way. So the album title, Rio, it was inspired by the excitement that the band felt after their first trip to the Americas in 1981. They'd never left England before, and now they're this band touring the, the globe. And John Taylor had said, Rio to me was shorthand for the truly foreign, the exotic, a cornucopia of earthly delights, a party that would never stop. And there was also an underlying theme of Carnival in Brazil, yep, which would become an important part of the album's sound and visuals. You know, in reference to that, when I first saw like the Save a Prayer videos, and I, I thought they were filmed in Central America due to the Rio theme of the album. And I had no idea what was it, it was Sri Lanka. I had no idea. And we'll talk about that too, for sure. The videos were such a huge part of Rio. Duran uh, Duran was, I think, one of the first bands to really kind of marry these two media. They were. Yeah, video and, and audio and really kind of present the full picture. Speaking of media, I really do want to talk about the cover artwork, which, Trey, I see you are wearing your Rio shirt. Yes, I am. That's part of the album is that iconic cover. You you can't not mention that, you know, when you're talking about the album. That, that just it draws you in. And do you know anything about that artist? Very little. I read up on him last night, and apparently he died in 1984, which I wasn't aware of. Yeah, yeah. So Patrick Nagel is, is the artist's name. Mm -hmm. He was known primarily for illustrations in Playboy magazine. Yep. And he has a very distinctive style if you walk into like an antique shop or something at least me i can pick out a patrick nagel print a mile away because he has such an iconic style i feel kind of weird saying this but i think it's important the cover of the album rio really influenced my idea of beauty looking at her though right very pale skin very dark hair kind of chiseled features to me, that is that is beauty. And, and you know, at a young age, eight years old, looking at this and thinking just, wow, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. My first husband actually was a big fan of Patrick Nagel and had a lot of Nagel prints, not just the Rio cover, but a few other ones. And there was one, uh, it's in a similar style. It's called Sunglasses. And it was hanging over our couch. I've seen that one. I love that one. Well, one day some friends came over with their little boy and their little boy had to be like three or four. And, you know, kids that age, they're honest, right? They will tell mm -hmm. you exactly what they're thinking. And he looked at that picture and he says to me, is that you, Lori? Wow. And 
oh my gosh, I tell you at that moment, I could have cried. It was, I, I, that was like the biggest compliment that anybody had ever yeah. paid me. Tell me, Hey, this, this Nagel picture that looks like you. So, um, yeah, that, that album cover really influenced my idea of beauty and femininity. All right. So Trey, I know you mentioned you've really spent like the last week or so immersing yourself yes. in the different album releases. <laughs> I, I don't know where to begin with it all. Probably about June of 82, my aunt gave me a cassette copy of Rio and that's my first time hearing it. And uh, like we just mentioned, that cover art was unreal, you know, it just drew you in and it's just like, wow, what is this? It wasn't until later in the year when they reissued Rio in the U.S. with the alternate mixes of the songs. And I had bought some of the singles and started realizing what on earth there's there's so many versions of all these songs. Mm -hmm. Different mixes, different, you know, well, they were calling them the night versions, some of them. And some of them are just called remixes, you know, standard remix. Right. And, uh. I'm still, I, you know, over the course of the past week, I've found out that different countries had different, still to this day, have different versions of the albums. And it, it, it's mind blowing. You know, it is really hard to keep track of. So, right. so Rio was first released on May 10th, 1982 in the UK. In the USA, it was released on Harvest Records, mm -hmm. which at the time I think was best known for acts like Bob Seger for like, you know, the traditional kind of album oriented rock. And I don't think they knew how to promote Duran Duran. So right away, the album went to number two on the charts in the UK, but it didn't do very well in the USA. Right. So they brought in producer David Kirschenbaum to remix many of the tracks. Now, he had previously remixed a couple of their tracks. You mentioned like the night versions and such. The night versions were just like their their 12 inch singles, their extended dance versions. Right. Yeah. And they had put out an EP called Carnival. Speaking of that carnival theme. I, and I purchased a copy of that. And I like found out this week that I actually had the Dutch pressing of it. You know, never knew that back then. And it's interesting to me that there are all these different pressings and remixes, because that almost seems peculiar to us in 2022 when everything kind of is, you know, a, uh, global market and digital versions and e-commerce and stuff, right? Right, right. But anyway, after uh, Kirschenbaum remixed Carnival, they decided that they were going to bring him in to remix the Rio tracks for the American audience. And he really did, on most of the songs, change the balance of the instruments. Like on some of them, if you listen to the UK release, the electronic drums are very prominent. And on the U.S. Kirschenbaum remixes, it's kind of, they're, they're a little bit further down in the mix. Andy's guitars, I think, in some places are a little more prominent. They are, for sure. And that was all mixed in mind with, you know, what American audiences right. were listening to and expecting at that time. If you turned on the radio in 82, it was a lot of guitar and more traditional drums, not so much electronic. So... Capitol Records re-released the new mixes in the USA as real, and that did it. The re-release reached number six on the Billboard 200 album chart in the U.S. on March 12, 1983, and remained on the chart for 129 weeks. The Recording Industry Association of America certified it as gold on March 1st, 1983, 
and platinum on April 26, 1983. And it's now considered double platinum. So remember, gold is 500,000 copies. Mm -hmm. Platinum is 1 million copies. So it has sold 2 million copies to date, actually probably much more by now. That's the version that I had, Trey, the U.S. re-release with the Kirschenbaum remixes. That's the one that I grew up loving and wore out my vinyl. And so as an adult, when I purchased the digital download, I, I did a double take. I was listening to some of these songs and I said, this isn't what I remember. Not even just the balance of the instruments, although that's true in some places, but in some places, even the words were different. Yeah. And I thought, my gosh, am I losing my mind? <laughs> but then when they re-released the special edition at, back in, boy, I want to say it was like 2009-ish, and they put the American mixes on there, and I'm like, okay, good. Now, I, I'm not crazy. Uh, it, it is very different. And, of course, I prefer the versions on the American. I do, too. Album. 100%. Yeah. Better version of the album, for sure. And I'm sure our, our friends over on the other side of the pond will throw down there and, and argue that that's maybe not the case, but uh, they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, Trey, uh, you and I agreed we are going to go through track by track the U.S. re-release of Rio. And we're going to do a deep dive. So we're going to play a little bit of each track. And then you and I will talk about it, not just, you know, factual stuff, but also stuff that we think you know how the song has affected us personally or what we like about it all right let's go all right so trey you're at our record player you can start us on side one what's our first song it's gonna be rio This technically, this is the first Duran Duran song I would have ever heard in my entire life. Because, I, you know, my aunt gave me a copy of the tape and I threw it in my little boombox and off I went. I thought it was great. You know, that, 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 I don't know what you call it, that, that synth intro was just amazing. I know you've been immersing yourself in watching documentaries and such. Did you catch the story about what that sound effect is at the beginning? I did not, actually, oddly. They had a baby grand piano in the studio and Nick opened up the piano and he threw a bunch of metal rods down on top of the strings. Okay. And he said, okay, well, that was kind of interesting, but let's run it backwards. So instead of the initial kind of bang and then fading out, then it it's doing the other where it's gradually building up and then you get this kind of uh, tension 
in the beginning, which I think was really, really cool. Yeah. There's so many amazing changes in that song. Just the intro and then it kind of, you know, the, the verse parts and then the, the chorus sections just they're almost so much happier and cheerier than the other parts of the song. It's, it's, it just goes to show you how amazing and tight of a band Duran Duran really is, which I don't think a lot of people realize. I agree with you. I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think there are people that were very quick to write them off as like a a uh, mass produced boy band, you know, much, much in the way like new kids on the block were. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that was a little bit later, but they really weren't. These guys were the real thing. They they wrote their own songs yeah. and they performed everything with their own instruments. I love John Taylor's baseline on this. It was definitely inspired by Bernard Edwards of Chic. And, and I know John was a big fan of Chic. John Taylor is probably the best bass player on the entire planet. That guy is amazing. I, how he does some of the stuff he does with just his fingers is, is mind blowing. Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is <laughs> nuts. Did you happen to watch during COVID lockdown? He was doing the bass love what was it called? I want to say it was like Bass Love God, but it was like two tutorials on how, how he played the different songs. I did catch a few of those. That was very cool of him to do. Yeah, they were. They were really cool. I used to really look forward to those. I'm kind of sorry that he stopped doing it. Yeah. So the song itself was inspired by the band's 1981 tour in America, except for the first line. Now, that first line, moving on the floor now, babe, you're a bird of paradise. Mm -hmm. Simon actually wrote that about a waitress in Birmingham. Really? Yeah. So he said in an interview, the song started off with a girl from Birmingham, but it became about the entire United States from mountains in the north down to the Rio Grande. So it's really kind of a love song to America, which I think is really cool because they'd never experienced anything like it. They'd never left England before. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, you know, another interesting thing about this song is that sax solo. Mm hmm. So that was completely improvised by a guy named Andy Hamilton. Yep. And he had never even heard the song before. He said he just played the first thing that popped into his head. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And he ended up becoming a member of the touring band, didn't he? Watching some footage from Saturday night. And at some point there's a guy out there with a sax. Was that him? It may have been. You know, I, I'm afraid I wasn't paying attention when they introduced him. <laughs> I can't, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. That's all right. Let's talk about the video, Trey, because for me, that was, I think, my, my first my first exposure to this particular song. As we talked in the last episode, I did not have MTV in my area. But you, you have seen the video. Oh, well, 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 I just wanted to say it was more than a year into my Duran Duran fandom, well into 83, before I ever saw a video by them. So that's interesting. So then what did you think having had listened to this album for a few years and then finally seeing the album visual? I thought it was great. Yeah. There was a girl that I was in school with and she had that long form video they put out and she loaned it to me and it just blew me out of the water. Nice. It, it had all the white album videos and all the Rio videos on it, correct? I believe so. I remember I remember renting it. Um, I think it did. Yeah. So the video was shot in Antigua and four of the five band members were actually on vacation. Everybody except Andy. And they got a call from Russell Mulcahy, who was the video director that said, hey, guys, don't leave. We're coming down. We're bringing Andy. We're going to shoot a video. And 
a lot of the scenes and a lot of the imagery were really just very spur of the moment. I mean, you know, Russell kind of, he's very big on improvisation. And as a result, the guys had these beautiful, bright, colorful suits made by Anthony Price, right? The fashion designer. And they thought they were going to shoot the video in London. So here they are on a catamaran in the ocean in the Caribbean with salt and, and, you know, water and everything else. And it's not the most ideal clothing, but that became part of their image. And that became so iconic, right? That, right. that scene where Simon is sitting on the, the bow of the boat mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the boats just kind of, that's like, that's Rio. It's, it's, it's color. It's, it's beautiful. Rio, the gal Rio, is played by a model named Rima Raspoli. And all the guys are trying to impress Rio. But every one of them is in an embarrassing situation, which is something that you wouldn't want to happen in front of a girl, right? Yeah. Like uh, Simon slipping and falling mm-hmm. on the on the dock. You got Andy. Get, I think it was Andy. It got caught in a, a net. It is. Roger getting his toe pinched by a crab, right? (laughs) I mean, even Nick trying to pour a drink on the boat and just, you know. Yeah, it's wobbling. Yes. So it's humorous, you know. It's not not super, super serious, and it's a lot of fun. And did you realize that we also had in that video an attempted murder? No, I did not. Do tell. <laughs> I, I maybe murder's too strong a word, but if you read Andy Taylor's biography, Wild Boy, mm-hmm. there's a scene where John basically just shoves Andy off of the side of the boat. Oh wow. Yeah. Andy did not know that was coming. And he he ended up in the water and they had to stop the boat and they had to go back and fish him out of the water. So, yeah, so, you know, we've got the bass player uh, attempting to kill the the guitarist. <laughs> maybe that was a sign of things to come in the future. Yeah, maybe. But it plays beautifully on camera. It just looks like, you know, more having fun out in the Caribbean, right? Yeah. I'd be terrified to death of being that water, water that deep with two. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that suit had to be ruined, too. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. That was a very visual description of that song and video. That, that's excellent. Good, good, good. Thank you. So they actually filmed two videos when they were on vacation in Antigua. The other one being Waiting for the Night Boat, which was from their first album. The zombie movie. The zombie movie. And, you know, I, I imagine, Trey, we're going to talk about that when we get to 83 and we get to the album re-release, but I do want to say for the listeners who are familiar with both videos, they're two sides of the same coin. Rio with the boat during the day. Oh yeah. And then the night boat at night with the zombies. It's, I, I love the juxtaposition there. I love the contrast. I think that that's, they almost need to be seen as a package, I think, to get the full effect. I think all these all these videos that, you know, you watch that long form video. It's just an amazing watch. Yeah. Well, you know, for some reason, uh, I don't think Waiting for the Night Boat has ever been released on DVD or on Blu-ray. I At least I haven't been able to find it. I mean, I've got most of their videos on DVD or Blu-ray, but that one I haven't been able to find. 
All right. So next on the album, following Rio and Rio, oh my gosh, really sets the tone for the whole right, album. Right, right, right. Next on the album was My Own Way, which when I was a kid was probably my favorite track on the album. Let's listen. alluded to this now the band had released a single of my own way right and i think november of 81 november 16th 1981 oh look at you all right and there's a video that accompanies it which i don't know if i've ever actually seen that and i should have watched it in the past week and i didn't that's okay the the single version reportedly the band has even kind of disowned it I got to be honest, I don't care for the single version. It's a lot faster. It's trying to do like more of a South American kind of vibe to it. Have, have you heard the single version? I have. I had the 12 inch single way long ago, which had the, you know, radio edit, I guess the night version or whatever they were doing. Mm -hmm. But then it's B side, which was like an angel. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It was. Well, uh, let's uh, real quick for our listeners, let's play a little snippet of the single version so they can hear the difference that Alrighty. we're talking about. When you do watch that video, there is a cameo. I did see the video looking at a little synopsis okay. of it here. I have seen that. I don't okay. know what I was thinking there. Brain fart. That's all right. So do you know uh do you know who has a cameo in that video? What actor? I sure don't. Do you remember Adrian Paul from the TV series The Highlander? Really? Yeah, he's the guy with the the cloak, the the bullfighting cloak. Oh, wow. Okay. I had no idea. Yeah. So my own way, this was the one for me that 
the U.S. version was so different from the U.K. version. Even the words were different. Leaps and bounds. Yes. And I definitely prefer the U.S. version. And there's this little uh, bit at the end where Simon says, I'm on 45 between 6 and Broadway. Yeah. You know what that is? I do not. That was the address of the Peppermint Lounge discotheque. Is that in the UK? No, that's that's in, in New York. York? Okay. That, that's in New York. Yeah. So, you know, when the guys were touring the first album in 81, they would have spent some time at some of these clubs in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. This song, even the opening line, it's not quite the opening line, but in the first verse, he says, fear of flying. No, not me. And I kind of wonder if maybe that is kind of alluding to touring in the U.S. because they would have had to fly not just over the Atlantic Ocean, but they would have had to fly all over the place because it's a big country. You know, that's the only way you can get around. Right, right. But I still have a a soft spot for this particular song. You got any thoughts about my own way? Definitely, you know, take a bit of a darker step for the second track on the album to me. The, the tone of the song is a little bit darker than the song Rio was for me. Okay. And it also kind of made me realize this was going to be a pretty unique album overall. This wasn't going to be, a, you know, where all the songs sound exactly alike type of thing. I could see this was going to be something very different. Okay. It had me wondering what was next. Well, speaking of a darker tone, Trey, what is next? Next is going to be Lonely in Your Nightmare, which is one of my favorite songs off of the entire album. Well, probably the second most sexual song on the album as well. Ooh. I think that's definitely what he's getting at with this song. The video, I'm, you know, this is another one of the videos where there's two versions of the video. And I'm, Is there a different mix of this song or was it the same on both versions? There are a number of different mixes. So the U.S. album remix was a little bit different than the U.K. remix. And then there was another version uh, that just like fades out a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a few different versions. But no, I mean, you're not going to get away from it this this easily. Come on, tell me more. Tell, tell me about the, the sexual themes. There's that line in the song, if there's heat beneath your window, let me in. Mm-hmm. I don't think my 12-year-old mind really caught on exactly what that was getting at. But as I got older, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, I, I, I think it's there's kind of a, 
what i mean it is kind of like the rolling stones song she's so cold yeah right yeah. same kind of thing mm-hmm. so you mentioned the two different versions of the video this was one of the three videos that they shot in sri lanka they they basically spent i think it was like seven days and just like marathon filming right one video to the next so there's two versions of the video the first version doesn't really make a lot of sense in terms of narrative you know they have a bunch of native dancing and uh, it's really cool scenery and stuff and there's a a woman with a veil Mm -hmm. but i guess they decided to go back when they were in england and film some more scenes and re-edit the video so the re-edited video has some black and white scenes shot in london and some color scenes from Sri Lanka and now it becomes a narrative where it's almost a ghost story yeah yeah it's a great video so I think it's one of their better videos if you ask me and so it kind of becomes the story where the girl from the video I say girl the woman from the video it, it almost becomes somebody that it's implied that Simon loved and married and and now is gone. Mm-hmm. But everybody in the band is is seeing little fleeting glimpses of her here and there. And like there's one where John thinks he sees her and she's feeding some birds and then she just vanishes. Right. It's almost yeah. haunting in some ways. It is. It's, a good story. It's, it's it almost doesn't suit the lyrics to me in a w- weird sort of way. No. The video works, but the, the the song itself to me is so sexual, like I've already said, and the video is just takes such a different turn with everything. It works very well, but, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's neat, neat, neat how they used to put so much thought into these things back then. Yeah. Well, you know, this was one of those songs that maybe eight-year-old Lori didn't like as much, but man, it's really grown on me a lot. Oh, I loved it. You know, it just had me a hello to use a cliche there so i think one of the things that really makes this song so atmospheric is john taylor's fretless bass now he doesn't play fretless a lot but it really adds to it and gives it a very melodic sound andy's guitars too i mean this is one where it just all comes together so beautifully it's also another song that shows you how well the mixing was done on this album in general it's just all you know put together so very well everything is just right in the mix yes absolutely up next is hungry like the wolf everyone's been waiting for this one hungry like the wolf Okay, so 
there was the first U.S. release, which was the same as the British release, which didn't do well, right? right. So then they had the Kirschenbaum remixes, mm-hmm. and they released that album. But then, for whatever reason, they swapped out the U.S. remix of Hungry Like the Wolf with the night version. So there's actually a third uh, U.S. Rio album that has the night version, and that's the one that I had. So the night version is the dance remix, if you will. It's the extended 12-inch. It has a very long, like maybe about a minute and a half instrumental introduction. I don't, you know what? I was saying the other day that I I think I had that one, but I I don't believe I did. No? I don't think so, because I don't remember that minute, you know, instrumental thing there at the beginning. Okay. I actually listened to that and I'm like, I don't remember this. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so the American version, the original American version, not the one that I just played, which was the night version, because we're listening to my vinyl, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The original American version. I don't care for it for a number of reasons. It's like probably the one remix on this album that I think is inferior to the original. I think that the drums are a little too prominent, but also... The laugh is wrong in the beginning, right? So uh, the the iconic Rio laugh, everybody who lived in the 80s knows the Rio laugh. It was Nick's lady friend, Cheryl, and reportedly he tickled her to get her to make that laugh, and they recorded it. (laughs) In the original recording and the one that is used in the video, it's like, ha-ha, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But in the American original uh, re-release, that laugh is prolonged and it doesn't sound right to me. I'm just going to play that little snippet here. All right. <laughs> that just does not sound right to me. I mean, I I know we've been saying the U.S. re-release is superior, but this one I don't think it is. So You brought that up to me the other day, and I don't think I'd ever really noticed that. If I had, I don't recall. Recall. So, Hungry Like the Wolf, before you get to your opinion, Trey, because I know you have one. This was recorded on a single Saturday at the Manchester Square studio. And reportedly, the boys were hungover from partying the night before. And Nick and Simon in particular felt really, really guilty because they were partying and not working. So they dragged themselves into the studio and decided to see what they could come up with. Now, Nick was playing with a Jupiter 8 synthesizer, and he was one of the first uh, musicians, I believe, to actually use this one. And now, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read somewhere the first two Jupiter 8s, one went to Nick Rhodes and the other went to Andrew Ferris of NXS. Yep. Okay, so you read that. Yeah, that's true. I I knew that before all this. That's Okay. Well, good then, because I was trying to find it again. I knew I'd read it, but I couldn't find the source for that. So thank you for for backing me up on that. So that kind of poppy sound, that little uh, almost like popcorny sound at the beginning, was recorded on the uh, Jupiter Eights mm-hmm. arpeggiator. Yep, that's a fancy term. And then Simon heard it and said, "Hey, that's kind of cool," and laid down some lyrics. And then a little while later, Andy Taylor came in and came up with this iconic guitar riff and the rest as they say is history i I think that one of the things that makes duran duran so pioneering and so distinctive is it's not synth pop 
per se. It's rock and roll with synths, right? Because, you know, think of the other synth pop bands that you listen to, Trey, that they, they don't have that guitar that Andy brings to it. I mean, Andy was like a classical rock and roll yeah, yeah. guitarist, right? Mm -hmm. So he brought this edge to it that was completely unlike anything that anyone else had ever done. And I think that this song really exemplifies that, that that guitar riff that he did is just, it's gold. It, 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 it certainly is. And anyone that saw them live in 1984 can attest to the fact that Duran Duran definitely had a harder edge to them, which really yeah. came out live. Another thing that's notable about this song and a few other songs on this album, there's a sound that was very, very common to a lot of 80s music productions called the gated drum. Well, it's gated reverb. Gated reverb. Yes. Okay, cool. Can, then you know more about it than I do. I don't know exactly how they did it, but yeah, pretty much every 1980s album had gated reverb on it. It's it's still very much used in the uh, hip hop and R&B industry too. I think they kind of got away from it for a while, but I think maybe it might be making a comeback. But uh, you think of In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, that... that yep massive drum solo right that everybody has to play air yep. drums that's an example of the gated reverb and duran did a lot of that yep. and it's very very prominent on hungry like the wolf like i said pretty much every band in the 80s used it, it doesn't matter the type of band they were they were using it. i mean even motley Crue, for example used it some yeah there's some i believe i need you tonight by nxs i believe that's the oh reverb yeah on that one Oh yeah, there's, John Ferris used a lot of gated reverb. A yeah, documentary on YouTube now about gated reverb, and it's you know everybody out there go and check that out if you're curious. Definitely, yeah. YouTube gated reverb. It, it, it's a really really good video. Speaking of videos, can't talk about hungry like the wolf without talking about the video. And I actually believe this was the first video I would have ever seen by them. I know it was the first video I ever saw by them. So this was another one that was being shot in Sri Lanka, one of the three. Mm -hmm. Russell Mulcahy, again, the director, he worked with the band on a lot of their videos. And uh, I think one of the band members said that he had just seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so he had this idea for this kind of tropical adventure story, right? And the thing that you need to keep in mind is at the time, bands weren't doing this. They were not going to exotic locales. Right. I mean, some bands were doing some innovative things with video, like think of Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, right, with all the special effects. But there still was not any, like, travel budget involved or anything. So for a band to just kind of get up and go to Sri Lanka, of all places, and uh, film it, and, and the location becomes a character in a lot of their videos, Nick Rhodes tells a story, which uh, there's a number of places you can see this. There's a documentary on the making of Rio that he tells it. But uh, he shows up in Sri Lanka and it's like, you know, he's been flying all night. He, he had just finished mixing the album. So he shows up head to toe, black leather in the scorching heat of the jungle. And they drive him from the airport something like six, seven hours to his hotel so by the time he gets at the hotel, he's completely like drenched in sweat. He's bordering on delirious. And an elephant just kind of walks past him on the street. And at that point, he's just like, he had no idea if it was a hallucination or not. Well, it turns out it wasn't. 
you know, there are elephants in this video. There are uh, a number of really cool locations. There's that marketplace. The woman in the video was model Sheila Ming. And it's a really interesting kind of story if you're following it. Now, you want to talk about uh, sexual. The lyrics, obviously, very sexual. It's a man who's a predator, right? Yeah. That even is kind of played out a little bit in the storyline where Simon goes off into the uh, the jungle in pursuit of this woman. And, you know, there's uh, uh, some... <laughs> Uh, activity, I guess, ensues. <laughs> but meanwhile, the rest of the band is uh, going all over, showing a Polaroid picture, looking for their missing bandmate, you know, which is actually, it, it's kind of clever. And there's kind of a, a, I don't know what you would call it, a weird tiger, too. Isn't in parts of it, she's painted up like a tiger? Yeah, well, and then he's kind of got some, like, uh, tribal. Yeah, yeah, yeah tribal face paint on as well too i mean it's really kind of reducing the interplay to its most most primal to its very primitive animalistic uh you know raw sexuality it kind of gives you a glimpse too of what russell was going to do for them you know via the seven and the ragged tiger and arena stuff that's true kind of see the starting grounds of that in there well and you know what's interesting too is so many of their videos, you know, are known for this very heterosexual sexuality, but Russell Mulcahy is very openly gay. Yes, I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And if you, a lot of people comment on the Wild Boys video, and I'll just leave that at that. Oh, well, we'll get to that. We'll get, we'll get to that. I watched the, uh, what is it, about 12 minute version of that last night. I was like, yeah, I forgot how over the top this is and yeah well for me hungry like the wolf is probably one of my least favorite duran duran tracks oh interesting and I, you know in the context of the album i'll play it, it you know and that type of setting you know for me radio ruined it and in the 90s when the, all these classic radio stations started popping up and this is the only duran duran song they ever play yeah. And it just got so tiring. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I, I think, you know, for a while in the 90s, I think maybe I was probably a little tired of it too, but not anymore. It's one of their songs, you know, it's, it's in every concert they play too. I often wonder if they, don't, they themselves don't get tired of singing it and playing it. And, you know, I, I think if they didn't play it in concerts, I think the fans would probably riot. They totally would. Yeah. All right, so... We're almost at the end of side one of the album. What's next? We're getting up on uh, Hold Back the Rain. Hell yeah! Which yes. I think is, both, is one we both very much love. It's, it's definitely a standout track on this album. Absolutely. All right, let's listen to it. All right. you want to call it still blows down the lane 
Oh my gosh, I love it so much. It, it just drives so hard. That bass line is, is, is uh, unbelievable. Yeah, so I was so stoked that they played this song Saturday night in Chicago. And I was very surprised because John has said in numerous interviews how difficult this song is for him to play live on the bass. So, you know, when they recorded it, they did a lot of overdubs, you know, and they could stop and edit in the... Uh, the choruses, he's using a plectrum. The verses, he's not. Uh, there are a few pops and stuff that, you know, were originally overdubbed that he eventually had to learn how to play live. So I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised to hear them playing this. Did they even play this one on the Rio tour? Seems like, you know, what you said about John's bass playing and the just all the synthesizer tracks. And it seems like the whole thing would have been really hard for Nick and John, you know, to do live. Well, you know, there are websites that it's like setlist.fm. Yeah. I bet we could look it up. So this is the, again, the U.S. album remix, which is a little bit different than the version that made it to the U.K. And both versions were edited down from an original recording that was almost 10 minutes long. Yes. And this is still a very long song at six minutes and 32 seconds. Mm -hmm. Now, Trey, when we were talking last episode about this song, I mentioned to you uh, the story about this. So Simon wrote the words out of concern for John Taylor. So he said in an interview, it's about being the five of us and how we need to look after each other. And now it's time to look after you and you've got to come back to us. And so, you know, again, after their American tour, John was really hitting drugs very heavily and partying very heavily. And there had been uh, an incident where he had cut his hand open after he smashed some glass and actually couldn't play on some of their shows because he was injured. And so one night, Simon wrote the lyrics and shoved them under John's hotel room door as a message. You know, now that you know that, when you listen to the lyrics, we're miles away from nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the boys touring America. That's very interesting. And it's something about the song I was never aware of in the past. You know, Simon's lyrics tend to be very out there at times. So I just I just attributed it to that over the years. Well, and you know the story, too, right? That when he auditioned for the band initially at the Rum Runner, he brought in a notebook full of lyrics. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons that they decided they wanted him. Now, some of the lyrics in that notebook... We'll make it onto another song that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll have to see which one that is. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, back to Hold Back the Rain. This has always been a favorite of mine as well. And the yeah, the crowd went nuts. I, I bet they did. I, I was in disbelief when I saw it in the set list that they posted themselves on, on their Facebook page after the show. I was like, holy cow. Yeah. And you were texting me as I was walking out of the concert. Yeah. And you're like, I can't believe they played Hold Back the Rain. I'm like, yeah. how the hell are you finding this out this quickly? The band put it on their Facebook page. I saw. 
Yeah, I saw that. I was very surprised. Yeah, I was like, holy cow, you got the, you know, that's unbelievable. Was, that, was there all the synthesizer parts there? Was it, Yeah. how did it sound? Oh, it sounded fantastic. Just like the record? Not just like the record because uh, that we were missing some of the backing vocals. Oh, okay, yeah, but uh, did they acknowledge, I mean, what did they say before they played it? I don't think they said anything. I think they just started it and we heard the opening notes and I'm just like, holy shit. And I started like jumping up and down and my husband's like, what, what is it? I'm like, you know, oh, and yeah, Don Brown was uh, back on guitar for this show too. Incidentally, I don't think I mentioned that in the intro, but it was very nice to see him playing with the band again. Don Brown is an excellent guitarist. He's not Andy and he's not Warren, but he's still a fucking awesome guitarist. I'm kind of hoping maybe at this thing in November, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, that maybe they'll get on good terms with Andy again and they'll do something else. That's, you know, Yeah. I'm definitely a fan of Andy's. I know that, that's sort of a causes some friction between Duran Duran fans, either pro Andy or anti Andy. All right. So, Trey, now I'm going to flip my album over. And the first song on side two is called New Religion. songs on the album absolutely side two of this album is so distinctly different than side one well it's interesting that you should mention that because they didn't make any changes on side two for the u.s release right right because most people tend to only play the first side of an album is that right that's why sometimes there's you know two or three hits on side one and then the, the other hit is in the middle of side two think back on it for a second okay You know, back in the era when we were playing cassettes or records, that's a, that was a thing. Okay. Well, you know, while we're talking about this, the order of these songs, the sequence is just perfect. The, Exactly. the, the way that the energy carries, it starts off very, you know, up tempo. And here we're starting to get a little bit more, more mellow, a little bit more. I don't want to necessarily use the word somber, but darker, definitely. And, uh, oh man, new religion though. Duran Duran for me was my new religion, you Oh, know? for all of us, everybody that was listening to this album at that point in time, this is exactly what it was. Yeah.
So I guess the band had cut a demo of the song in August of 1981 at EMI in London's Manchester Square. It's really interesting to me. You know, a lot of times bands hit what we call the sophomore slump, right? Mm -hmm. Where they put out a strong first album because they've spent years putting material together. And then when the second album comes, they don't have as much. That didn't happen with Duran Duran. They they already had a bunch of, of really strong demos and really strong songs. Right, right. Before they before they ever uh got to Rio. So I mean they just completely outdid themselves. I, I think the thing that helped them is that the first album it, it sold, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't go through the charts or anything. Mm. So they didn't have that pressure on them to just, you know, try and repeat the performance of the first album. I think that's true. And I think, unfortunately, that's not going to be true for their third album. I think once we get to Seven and the Ragged Tiger, now the pressure is on them. Right? 100% agree with you there. I'm sure that album's going to come up. So I'll leave my thoughts on that for that episode. Okay. But I... Uh, I think it drove them to make Rio almost a better album than the first album. Oh, yeah, it had to be. They were certainly trying to just, you know, get to where they wanted to be. And they did it with this album. Absolutely. So the thing I love, and I, I think I mentioned this, Trey, in our last episode, so I apologize to our listeners. I promise I don't repeat myself that much, is how we have Simon juxtaposed over Simon. We have, you know two different dialogues that he's having with himself. Right, right. And it's, uh, you know, the angel on one shoulder, the demon on the other. And that's, that's really cool. And I also love, and unfortunately, I don't know that I'm going to have all of this in the episode because, you know, we can only play a limited right. amount of time of the song. But this synth intro that Nick put in. Yep. Oh. It just, I just, I don't know how to explain. It just, it, it sets the hairs on my arms on end. It's so beautiful. And <clears throat> apparently it was completely improvised where they said, okay, here's how long you have before the song actually begins. And Nick said, okay, I'll give you something that length. And he did it and completely I, improvised it. I can remember flipping that cassette tape for the first time. And that started and just been like, wow, this is, this is completely different. And then, you know, we've got Andy's groovy guitar solo in the middle. And also there's a vibraphone. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, which is a little unexpected, but it totally works. And it's become one of the, I guess you could say, a, well, over the course of the 80s, it became a standout live track because that's another song. They really just rocked up live and they went bananas with it, you know, during live shows. And Andy really got to shine with this one during their live performances. Yes, and and not only with his guitar playing, but also he had to sing one of those two parts because Simon obviously can't sing two parts at the same time. I so, remember when I saw them in '84, and they went into this one. The crowd went absolutely insane when they started it. It was it was you know great. You know when I invent time travel, that's the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to like the Sing Blue Silver tour, and I'm just going to. I'm going to see these concerts because I'm so I was too young. You know, I was too young to go to concerts. And so I, I feel like mm -hmm. I missed not just Duran Duran. I missed a lot of the bands I loved in their their peak. So, again, this will be something for a later episode. But you have no idea how great that concert was. It was just unbelievable. Oh, you're going to make me sad. You're going to make me sad. 
I didn't really realize they were going to be so such a together band live. You know, I don't think anybody did. And they just came out and just went off. And I don't think anybody realized that that's what was going to happen. Yeah. Then that's, you know, one of my personal faves, you know, out of all everything Duran Duran's done, this is a standout track for me. It's a go-to for me. You know, whenever people ask me, what's your favorite Duran Duran track? I, without hesitation, say New Religion. Out of all of their, what do they have? 11 albums, mm-hmm. out of all their, their singles, all their songs, without hesitation, New Religion is my favorite song by Duran Duran. I can, that's definitely in my top five. Cool. Okay, so what's after New Religion? We're up to Last Chance on the Stairway. This is definitely the weakest link on this album. Oh, really? Yes. Well, that's interesting. You know, I was happy when they released this new book, the 33 and a third series about Rio, Mm -hmm. because I'd always thought it sounded like a cigarette lighter at the beginning of this song. And in the 33 and a third book, they confirmed that it's actually Nick striking a match and lighting a cigarette followed by clinking wine glasses with Simon saying cheers. Oh, interesting. I think it totally doesn't sound like that's what it would be. Yeah. Well, it, it did sound like it to me. I thought it was a lighter, but it that's uh, uh matches. So this song actually is another one that they had worked out prior to Rio. They were already playing a version of it on their careless memories tour in 1981, but I understand that it sounded very different at the time. So it's kind of evolved over the years. I actually like that version better, to be honest with you. I, I don't know if I've heard it. Is it on any of the special edition albums or is it just? I'll send you a link when we, we get done recording. It's, it's on a bunch of bootleg recordings of live shows on that tour. Okay. I got to tell you, I actually really like this song. It, really? It, it, well, you know, for me, it reminds me of summer. And I, maybe because that's when I would would have been listening to this. It's just. It immediately elevates my mood. It just kind of takes me somewhere, you know, it takes me back in time. I love the lyrics. I mean, any song lyric where they mention Voltaire is okay in my book. You know, I mean, maybe that's just me being, you know, professorial again. I also kind of dig the marimba in it, in the bridge. <laughs> I take it you don't. I was going to say that's what just, it, it, it seems out of place. It just it never never sat right with me that marimba solo there in the middle. It just I was like, what in the world did they do that for? All right. Well, I guess we agree to a disagree there. Yeah. Well, of course we can. Okay. 
I think also this it just doesn't fit the side B of the album to me. Okay. All, all, all the other songs are, well, with the exception of Save Your Prayer, a little out there. And this one just kind of, you know, it, it doesn't suit that tone. Which I guess in some ways, Save Your Prayer is sort, somewhat of a dark song in and of itself. So it maybe doesn't come off sounding that way. But we'll get to that when we get to that song. Well, that's next. All right. Yes, indeed it is. Maybe we should just lead right into that one then. actually another fan favorite from the Rio album. I think it's something that I don't think they've ever played a live show without playing this one, have they? I don't know. It's amazing live. Oh yes. my gosh. But, oh, it's such a beautiful song. And again, you know, you talk about the kind of underlying sexual theme. Yes. <laughs> you know, and he isn't even shy about it. Some people mm -hmm. call it a one night stand, yep. but we can call it paradise. Which again, in my twelve, it just went right over my head when I was twelve. I had no idea what on earth he was talking about. This song is so beautiful, right? We've got the beautiful sparkling acoustic guitar that Andy's playing there. I mm -hmm. mean, you almost miss it. You really have to listen. You have to do a very immersive listen to catch yes. it. The bass was recorded over two tracks to kind of create a little bit of a phased effect, and then of course we have the synth and the synth makes this song i think yes that sequence is amazing it really is and if you have an opportunity for our listeners look at the classic album series there's a documentary on the making of rio and it's available on amazon prime video if you have a prime video subscription and nick talks about how he like used the the blender and everything to create these beautiful beautiful sounds and it's it's so worth watching just for that and for me the standout version of the song is the 1984 live version which just uh, to me it gave the song a whole new life and a new depth to it overall because you had simon playing the acoustic guitar and andy kind of extended that guitar track over the whole song which would easily come in and sort of the latter half of the song and it's, it's just amazing to me well, you know, you had mentioned to me when you and I were chatting earlier today, you were surprised that this didn't chart as a single until actually it was 85 when they re released the live video as part of the promotion for the arena album. Right, right. So 
I, I actually thought it was stranger than the releases as a promotional video for the arena album. I would have picked one of the more upbeat songs, but you know, it seemed to work for them at the time. Well, and I think this is one that really proves, especially live, yeah, that they are legit musicians mm -hmm. that know their craft and they they play such an amazing, amazing song. Yes. It, you it, know, it. yeah, because I mean, there are some songs that some bands do where, you know, it's all studio. And, you know, yeah, in a studio, yeah, you can do, you know, multiple takes and you can stitch right. them together. But yeah, live, this one is just absolutely amazing. And can we talk about the video? The, of course we can. Okay. So it ties back into the, uh, how do you say it? Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Uh -huh. Did I get that right? Yes. So, you know, actually of all their videos, I think this one might be one of my favorites. Really? Is that so? I think so. It's really a lot of beautiful imagery. Right. Right. There's the Buddhist temples. There's fishermen on the beach. There's children playing. There's at one point, there's John playing an acoustic guitar on a boat, but the boat is uh, on the beach. It's not in the water. Mm -hmm. Even just the, the room. So there's a, a room that Simon is sitting in. He's sitting on a couch and it's obviously very hot and he's wearing... Mm -hmm. Wearing a two-piece suit, probably another Anthony Price with no shirt under it, which under normal circumstances, I'd be like, eh, but he rocks it. <laughs> the shirtless suit, he rocks it. And even just this, the feeling in, in this room when he's dancing with the woman and then the woman walks away and you really just kind of feel the power of what he's singing, you know? And indeed, it captures the... I don't know the word I need there. Essence of the song so well. And then, you know, there's a few other things, you know, when they were shooting the video, like uh, there's one scene where I guess they had to bring Simon and Nick onto a mountaintop. There was like a really ancient uh, Buddhist temple that the only way to get in was by helicopter because this was a sacred site. The helicopter actually wasn't allowed to land. Yeah. It couldn't touch the ground. Right. So they basically jumped yeah off the helicopter to film this scene now if you know anything about nick nick likes his creature comforts and he's not a big fan of oh. <laughs> of any any yeah. any travel type stuff unless it's you know first class so he he to this day i think still kind of complains about it because you almost can't tell it's them in the shot because the shot is so far away mm -hmm. there was also I guess they were uh, filming some scenes in this Buddhist temple, a different Buddhist temple, all five of them. And they had to be barefoot, yeah. which is a sign of respect. But it was so hot that the boys were getting blisters on their feet and they were cursing Russell Mulcahy uh, <laughs> because, you know, it was it was they're walking on hot, hot mm -hmm. bricks. Uh, something had happened too, where I, th I, I think I read somewhere that they had been chased out where the the, <laughs> the monks were were like bordering on on a riot and they had to flee in a hurry i don't know how how true that is uh there's also some really beautiful scenes with the boys on the back of elephants there's one that i love even though it might be a little bit homoerotic in in <laughs> interpretation where john and nick are both on the back of an elephant together and the elephant just kind of uh, uh whips its trunk back yeah. and sprays them both with water and it's one of the few moments where you see nick with a genuine look of joy on his face yeah. and thinking about it and and just those two for a second so i mean they were friends as teens in birmingham mm -hmm. long before 
anybody conceived of this band and just kind of thinking how far that these two kids came together yeah. from, you know, Nick's bedroom, listening to records and trying to apply eyeliner to other side of the globe, you know, on the back of an elephant. Shooting a video. Got to be an amazing feeling. Yes. And then, you know, that Andy Taylor also, uh, speaking of elephants, yep. contracted a tropical virus. I guess he he fell into water that was contaminated with elephant feces. <laughs> so th what is it with Andy and water in this album? Right. So first he's nearly killed uh, knocking him off the boat. And now there's there's water and he contracts a tropical virus and ends up uh, not immediately, but a few weeks later, he ended up hospitalized and uh, actually may have been very close to death. I mean, he might be exaggerating that, but something tells me maybe not. I remember seeing there was, I, I guess it was in Rolling Stone magazine. There was, you remember how they used to do those little blurbs at the front? I remember seeing one of those about that being like, wow. Yeah. Anything else on Save a Prayer? I think we've covered it all for that one. You know, I think that is probably the most iconic Duran Duran song. Duran Duran earlier today had posted on their social media. They said, what three songs would you play, you know, to, to exemplify Duran Duran's career? I don't remember exactly how they phrased it. Something like that. Save a prayer. Absolutely. Positively. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of them. Such yeah. a great song. It really is. Okay. So we're coming up on the end of the album. What's next? And that's this next song is sort of a, I guess you could say a fan fave and it is a chauffeur, which is, you know, this is one of Duran Duran's most mysterious songs. Mm. And it has one of the more interesting videos they ever made to go along with it. Though it was not a single. Should we just go ahead and play a bit of it? Let's do it. All right. Again, I never saw this video until later on. I only knew the song, and this song was just so science fiction to me. You know, the drum machine, the mysterious lyrics, the that droning noise, mm -hmm. which sort of fits along with a bit of the lyrics there. And then it sort of gets kind of upbeat there in the latter half. It's just, it's just such a fantastic song. So, you know, it's such a great companion to save a prayer, too. Those two songs just sort of lead the album out in such a fantastic way. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think that pairing is is just perfect. And the sound effects, yeah, there's uh, locusts. Is that what those are? Yeah, and then there's another place where there's ice cubes uh, dropping into a glass of water and crackling. Mm -hmm. The lyrics actually, you know, we talk about Simon's kind of obtuse lyrics. Well, this is pretty obtuse, but the lyrics were written in Simon's notebook before he ever met the band. Right. 
And so then they set him to music. And originally, I think this was not supposed to be all synth. And I guess there was one day where uh, Simon and Nick were in the studio and they were kind of working on different songs. And so they, they'd be switching rooms and Nick would be laying down a synth track and then go off the other room. Simon would come in, lay down a vocal, go off into the other room. The song evolved into something very different than what it originally was supposed to be. The interesting thing about it is the only instrument that is not synth is the ocarina, which I guess Simon discovered in producer Colin Thurston's desk and decided to play it. And that is the only live instrument on this song. And, you know, for years, I thought it was just a synthesizer. I didn't th- I didn't realize he actually played that. But I say he actually played it live. Yes, he does. Which, that's when I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually what I didn't know what a, what an ocarina was at that point in time. But I was like, oh, mm. see a little I thought it was like a harmonica. I don't know. Okay. I was four, well, almost 14. So, I mean, where would you have encountered one before? But this is. Yeah, exactly. So the video, which you mentioned, was directed by a filmmaker from Birmingham named Ian Eames. Mm-hmm. And it stars Perry Lister, who is Billy Idol's girlfriend at the time. Yeah, she was one of the Blitz kids from mm-hmm. uh, the Blitz Club in England. And yeah, she I think she still is. Aren't she and Billy still together after all these years? Um, I, I, I think they've had a very off and on relationship. I, I, I believe they're still mm-hmm. still in contact. I know they have a child together. Yeah. Well, Perry Lister is probably best known for Billy Idol's White Wedding video. Yeah. She's also in the Wild Boys video for Duran Duran. Is she? I never knew that. What is she had in there? I'd have to go back and look at it again, but she's showing her boobs. I mean. (laughs) Like I just mentioned, I watched that video last night. I don't remember seeing any boobs. I'll have to. We'll have to to go back and look at it again, but I know know she is in it. so. So, you know, we mentioned that this is all synth, except for the ocarina. Right. The band actually later did an acoustic version yep. that ends up as a B-side. And that acoustic version, oddly enough, is the only Duran Duran song that Nick Rhodes does not play on. Really? Yes. I never really thought about that. There's Yeah, there's no synth in it. So now here's my controversial opinion. And I, I remember I, I alluded to this. You and I were chatting and you were telling me, you know, oh, this one is... You know, Hungry Like the Wolf, I think, is overplayed. I said, well, wait till you hear what I think is overplayed. And I got to say, and I know I'm going to get hate mail for this. <laughs> AC podcast at hotmail.com if you want to send me hate mail. But <laughs> I think that this one is overplayed. I'm just amazed to hear you. You were the first long time true to Rand Rand fan I've ever heard say that. I might not fault you for it, but you know. Okay. <laughs> well, good. I mean, I think it is great for what it is. And it really pioneered the use of a lot of these sound effects and, and different synth layers. And I really appreciate it for that. And it is a very nice kind of moody piece, but you know, I'll be honest, I'm really going to get hate mail for this. I like the acoustic version better. See, I don't care for that one at all. It just completely takes the, what makes a song great out of it and it just it's so plain that way which i guess is what they were going for
glides are moving All looking for a new place to drive You sit beside me So newly charming Sweating dewdrops glisten Fresh in your sight And the sun drips down Bedding heavy behind The front of your dress All shadowy line And the droning engine Throbs in time With your beating heart I will say The one performance of it That I really dig It was the When the lights go out Video mm -hmm. compilation But then it was also The same video That they used for Is it Serena, right? So yeah, it was the video that they used for Arena slash When the Lights Go Out. Yeah, as the lights go down. That's it, as the lights go down. Thank you. Simon is kind of hanging from like he's laying on some sticks. Yeah, like he's he's hanging from these stakes, and it's really weird and moody and dramatic. And I really like that particular performance. You know, it's a great track to end the album with. I think. There's not a weak track on this album. Every single track out of these nine tracks is amazing. They're all very good songs. There's nothing that I would omit. But if you were to hold a gun to my head and say, one of these nine have to go, I'd choose the chauffeur. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, it'd be last chance on the stairway for me, so... I just, you know, I just don't see this. It's such a fantastic ending to the album. And it's, it is, it, it, it's unlike anything else on the album too. That's a great thing about it. it. Just takes such a sudden odd turn there. I mean, don't get me wrong. All right. Uh, when I'm saying that this is my least favorite track of the nine, they're all right. Sensational right. tracks. Yes. And I mean, I will take that over at red carpet massacre or, Pop Trash, Itty Day. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. But just of the nine, that's my least favorite. That's that's all I'm saying there. I'm not saying it's bad. It's not. It's uh, it's amazing. I'm with you on all. I, I get what you're saying. All right. I had one more thing I'd like to say about the chauffeur there. You know, for those of you that saw them live in 84, you know, they played The Seventh Stranger, which is one of the standout tracks on Seven and the Ragged Tiger for me. Then they went right into the chauffeur, which was, you know, they added more to it live, drums and guitars, and it was just mind-blowing. But then they would go into Save a Prayer. And a lot of people, you know, those three songs in that live setting, just it, it just works so well. It's one of the best parts of the entire concert for me. And that, that, that drum beat was just booming through the arena. You could feel it in your chest. When, you know, the show first starts, it, it was just unreal. And that droning noise. Yeah. When it kicked in, it was just like, holy shit. That's so cool. You know, it was amazing. And the lights and everything they had going with it, it was like, wow. That's cool. I felt like I was in the future, you know, in a science fiction movie when they started that. But uh, so, yes, what should we talk about next? Well, do have we decided what we're going to do for the next episode? Are we going to do Shabu Shaba? I think we probably should. I'm excited about that one, too. It's another fantastic and life-changing album for me. So, okay. We definitely got to do that. And I think that both these bands are probably going to get multiple episodes, I would think, over the course of this show. So. Absolutely. So our listeners are probably wondering, what are they talking about? Shabu Shaba. The In Excess album, actually within the last week or so, 
they just announced that they're going to do a 40th anniversary re-release special edition of Shabu Shaba. Right. So that'll be our next episode. We're going to do another album deep dive into Shabu Shaba track by track. And then after that, we might move on to 1983. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what grabs us. Okay. I like that. We'll, we'll go wherever the wind takes us. Right. All right. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to find us on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter. We are Accelerated Culture. And you can email us at acpodcast at hotmail.com. Who knows? Maybe we'll read your email out on the podcast. All right. Take care, everybody. And thanks so much for listening. <laughs>